The following podcast is intended for mature audiences only. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of True Crime on Easy Street. My name's Katie Givens, and I'm not a lawyer. Scott Wright, mediocre journalist. Kelly Turner, not a doctor. And we're back this week. We've got a lot going on. Actually, Kelly's going to be in the big seat today. Ooh. And Scott's going to start us off with a little just true crime community update. Yeah. Uh, So uh, we discussed this last week, the three of us, uh, on our little private text message group that we have that I'm so proud to be a part of, by the way. I'm the third banana in this uh, fruit basket. But I still love being involved, and I love it when we do that. So last week, there was a lot of talk about the 2014 True Crime Podcast serial. Yep. Uh, It's been in the news. I remember packing a lunch back in 2014 driving over to the city park and sitting under a tree, eating my sandwich, drinking my bottle of water and listening to the latest serial podcast. Mm-hmm. It, it's, it was my introduction to true crime. How about you guys? I mean, what are your experiences? What do you guys remember about serial, the original back in 14? I remember being intrigued and flying through it. Me too. Yeah. I remember being incredibly disappointed in the last episode, but mm. it wasn't Serial's fault. Yeah. It was just, you know, the state of the the facts of the case. <laughs> At the time, certainly. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't listen to it week by week. I came into it, it hadn't been out that long, but I, all the but it episodes was all there. were out when I, and so I binged That may it, have been like the crazy. case with me Same. as well, and I just, I just uh, uh, filtered them out to myself or, or rationed them out to myself one at a time so that, you know, I have an hour for lunch, so. Uh-huh. So I just did it that way. Uh, that first year that Serial was available, 68 million downloads. It won a Peabody Award, which is a big deal. Yeah. The first time a true crime podcast had ever won a Peabody Award at the time. But it just, it, it, it got true crime on my radar. And here we are, what, eight years later doing it ourselves. Yeah. So uh, it certainly was one of those. Uh, and if you're aware of... Uh, of serial, and if you're not, I'll give you a brief description. It was about the first season was about a 17 year old young man named Aiden Adnan Syed. Adnan, I, I always say that wrong. Adnan Syed. Mm-hmm. He was 17 at the time. He had been accused of killing his former girlfriend, 18 year old Heyman Lee, in 1999. He ended up being convicted of this crime. It happened in Baltimore, Maryland. He was convicted in 2000, sentenced to life in prison, and they'd been there ever since. Yes, until last week. And last Wednesday, they vacated his conviction. Wow. The, the, the prosecutor's office, the district attorney's office there in Baltimore, in Maryland, said, we don't believe our own bullshit anymore. We don't have enough to hold you. You get to go home. Now, there are restrictions. They, they put a GPS monitor on his ankle. They confined him to home. But he's free. He's not in prison anymore. At least, and now the, the prosecutor's office has 30 days. The judge said, you have 30 days to either try to convict him again or cut him loose. And that clock is ticking as of last week. So I think they're going to cut him loose. I think you're probably right. The judge ruled that the prosecution violated Syed's right to a fair trial because they withheld evidence during the trial that they had uncovered, which could have helped the defense or at least opened their eyes to some things. And this is called a Brady violation because anything that the prosecution discovers, they have to release to the defense. There was also apparently some faulty cell phone tower evidence used to convict Syed, which is mentioned a lot in the podcast serial. And there were 
also verified threats to Lee by other suspects prior to her death, which were also withheld from the defense team. Mm. So, and, and, and there's even some other suspects that they may have that they haven't released to the public or anything, but it just sounds never brought up. It just sounds like they, when they would come across something that did not fit their narrative, they would conveniently leave it out. I don't know if that's what happened, but that's what it Mm -hmm. seems like that they were doing. And it sounds like the judge agreed. So judge said, yeah, that's right. Vacated. I mean, a vacated conviction, not, I mean, not you're you're getting a new trial or all. It happens. Threw it out. You're done. Wadded it up, tossed it into the garbage. And, File thirteen. And then looks at the prosecution and says, "Come up with something and charge him in the next thirty days, or cut him loose." But it's over in thirty days. Right. I think they're going to just leave it be. Yeah, because they they're saying that they're not claiming his outright innocence. They just said that they lacked the confidence and the integrity of the conviction. The prosecution brought this up. Yeah, like that. The defense didn't. This isn't like an appeal filed from the defense. This is something brought up by the prosecution. And Sarah Koenig, the host of Serial, said last week that she feels bittersweet about the decision to release Syed after all these years, particularly since the gaps in the case were evident when he was convicted and were all investigated and highlighted in her multi-part series in 2014. In fact, Koenig released a new podcast episode last week, uh, season one, thirteen technically an update of the latest on the case titled Adnan is out. Yeah. Koenig said that Syed's releases, it's like, it's not exactly a triumph of fairness because it should have never taken 20 years for the nation's legal system to correct itself. I mean, cause if there was an issue, I mean, he's sat there for 20 years. I mean, over, it's over 20, 20 years, years now. Yeah. yeah. The Baltimore police said that the case has been reopened and it will be investigated to try and determine who actually killed Hey, Minley. Well, and there have been a lot of things that have been found to be uh, incorrect or, or less than ideal about the justice system in the state of Maryland since Syed's conviction in 2000. So there's been a lot of uh, attempts to fix it. And so it's not really accurate to say that serial and serial alone is the reason that Syed is at home watching Netflix on his couch today. But the three of us and millions of other people all over America who consider themselves fans of true crime. I mean, for us, Serial was a, it was a phenomenon that shined a spotlight on the limits and flaws of our justice system. Mm-hmm. And it certainly didn't hurt Adnan Syed in his attempt to get out of jail. Right. And today, these true crime fans nationwide, many first inspired by Koenigs and Serial. It wasn't like my first introduction to true crime, but it was right up there. I think it was mine. With it, yeah. It wasn't mine, okay. but it was in the top three. Yeah. And it was a different way because, like, it took one case, and I hadn't—I don't know if I had listened to many that were just about one case, like it was. Mm-hmm. But this makes this is going to advocate for more thorough investigations for throwing out, you know, junk techniques like lie detector test, and for reopening cold cases with the help of improved technology. Like there was a DNA evidence that was never tested in Syed's yeah. case that yeah. they just—it just sat there. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're going to keep you guys up to date about what goes on with this case and any of the other cases that we've talked about in the past. If there's new developments, we always try and, and do that for you guys. Anything that happens with the Adnan Syed, Heyman Lee case, we will give you guys updates about it. But right now, it's time for us to contribute our little part to this ongoing true crime phenomenon. And Kelly, you're in the big chair this week, so take it away. 
All right. Thank you very much. This week, we are going to Kentucky. This is one of the weeks where we do not have an Alabama tie. I'm just going to go ahead and spoil that. That's okay. Right away. We, do not, we don't have an Alabama tie for this case, but this is a very important story that deserves to be told. And so here we are today. Our case this week begins on May the 4th, 2003 where firefighters respond to a suspicious fire at the dorms of the West Kentucky University campus. Now, normally a fire alarm going off in a dorm is pretty typical. It usually means someone burned popcorn, something like that. Or some drunks are playing with the fire alarm. (laughs) Something like that. Or sometimes they just have drills. Oh, they did that all the time when I was in college and we'd be in the parking lot. Just have the fire. In your jammies. Yes, it'd be so annoying. Go through the protocol. Um, So everybody started filing out, originally thinking who, you know, burned their popcorn, what happened. But firefighters are going to make their way through the dorms and they are going to discover a body. And... What they're going to discover about this body is it is actually the source of the fire. Oh, my goodness. Yes. And that body was that of Melissa Katie Autry. She goes by Katie. And she was still breathing at the time. They, they walk into the room. They see something glistening. They notice that there's a body. They see the chest rising and falling. And they're like, we've got, we got to have some help. And, and. And that's when they determined that she was actually the source of the fire. She was transported to Vanderbilt Hospital in Tennessee. I believe she went to a hospital before that, and I believe she was transferred to Vanderbilt because her condition was so severe. Mm-hmm. A world-renowned burn unit at, at yes. Vanderbilt. Yes. However, she passed away three days later on May the 7th, 2003. The only thing she said to first responders when they got to her was take me home. And as far as I know, that was the only kind of communication that she made with anybody. So she was not able to let them know who did this to her, what happened, anything. She was in very, very bad shape and, and, eventually passed away. So who was Katie Autry? Melissa Katie Autry was born May the 10th, 1984 in Kentucky. She had an unstable childhood. Katie and her sister were placed in foster care. She eventually went to live with older foster parents who actually provided a very nice stable home for her. And so she, when she was in high school, she was a really good student. She was a cheerleader. She was able to thrive in that foster home she was a petite little blonde to tell you just a little bit about her stature and and what she looked like Mm -hmm. as she prepared for college she decided she was going to go to western kentucky it had everything to do with the location of the college it was closer to home closer to her foster parents and to her biological family so she wanted to to have that That makes sense. She starts college in 2002, and she and her roommate are like any typical college girls. They enjoy attending the college parties, being social, doing all the things. Having the freedom that we, all three of us went to college. That freedom that first year when you're a freshman and just... Having fun. I can, there's no more curfew. I can do whatever I want. Yep. 
having this freedom, having fun in college. And she was involved in a relationship with a guy named Maurice, but Maurice also had a girlfriend out of town. Oh, no. And was not really interested in anything serious. So uh, they were just kind of fooling around, so to speak. Now, sometime during her first year of college, she decided to emancipate herself from the Kentucky foster care system. Because she that was wanted, a big decision too, right? It was a big decision. She wanted to be independent, but this came with a big price. She lost her funding for college because of this. Mm-hmm. She was willing to lose that in order to become independent. Hey, good for her. That's tough. Tough decision though. Uh-huh. So she went to part-time status and she began working off campus. She worked various jobs and uh, briefly uh, worked as an exotic dancer in the area. So just doing different jobs. That was not her only job that she had. She worked at Wendy's for a time. Yeah. She had many different jobs just to support herself and and drop down to part-time in college. That independence was that important to her. So on Saturday, May the 3rd, 2003, Katie and her roommate make plans to attend a frat party on campus. So they're going to have some drinks and stuff before they go to the party. Pre-game, we call it. Yep. They're going to go to the go to the party and they're already tipsy drunk Mm -hmm. when they get there. So she spots Maurice there at the party, according to reports and ask him to dance. He refused. She gets mad at him. That starts a big fight. According to witnesses there, she got belligerent and disruptive and the hosts of the party ask her to leave because she's causing a scene. Pretty extreme to get thrown out of a frat party. Yeah. So So that you can imagine if you've ever been to one of those, what it would take to get thrown out of one. Yeah. She's gotten pretty belligerent at this point. So this is typical as well. There's a pledge who is the designated driver for the evening. And so this pledge offers to take her home. This is, as I understand it, pretty typical of frat parties. They always make the the newbies. Yeah. They have the designated drivers. Yeah set aside and so he just says yeah i'll take you home this works out for katie's roommate because the roommate is still at the party having a good time doesn't want to go home okay so she's like okay you go there and the roommate was planning on staying with another friend that night this was pre-planned this was already you know this what this wasn't anything that that was abnormal so sure weekend in a college town yeah take take her home she can go home sleep it off I'm going to continue with my plans. So that that was what was decided. Now at 2.30 a.m., a little after she left the party, the roommate calls Katie to check in on her and just make sure she got there okay. Um, And when Katie answers the phone, she told her roommate that she was lying in bed. She also told her roommate that there was a guy in her room and she was scared. She said she did not know who the guy was. So her roommate's like, put him on the phone. Mm-hmm. So he gets on the phone and he just says he wanted to make sure that she got up to her room okay because she was intoxicated and reassured the roommate, don't worry, before the, the phone is hung up, uh, the roommate thought that she heard a second male voice in the room and, uh, but kind of like just... Maybe not. So is is the implication that the pledge from the fraternity is the person who is in the room who has driven her home and and helped her up the stairs or up the elevator to her dorm room? Yes, that's the that's what's assumed in this story. And I think that that's 
I mean, you Sounds know. Sounds chivalrous so far. I mean, yeah. Let's see how this goes. Yeah, so the pledge, you know, kind of helps her up to her room. But then the roommate says she thought she heard a second male voice in the room. And that was kind of strange. But then she dismissed it like, maybe I didn't hear that or whatever. Okay. So approximately an hour and a half later, we have this fire alarm going off in uh, Hugh Poland Hall. And that's where we're back to the beginning of my story where the fires happened. And And this is a dormitory on campus. mm -hmm, And this is an hour and a half after this phone call. So an investigation is going to discover that Katie had been beaten and set on fire. She had also been sexually assaulted. She had severe burns on her chest and genital area. And they determined that a hairspray can was used as accelerant. There was alcohol gel placed inside of her, presumably to eliminate any evidence of sexual assault. Does that work? Well, we're going to find out. Okay. Police questioned the roommate and the designated driver. And the roommate told the story that I just told you all about the phone call and the possibility of a second male voice. The designated driver tells police, yes, there was another person in the vehicle that night. The designated driver's friend, Stephen Souls, lived in nearby Scottsville. Stephen was not a student there at the university, but he had gone with friends to the party. He was drunk, and he passed out in the back of the pledge's car. He just he he too arrived at the party all drunk by his own admission. Okay, he drank a bunch more at the party, got drunk was getting kind of sick. So he went outside, got in the back of the car to kind of sleep it off. So on the drive back to Katie's dorm, she's kind of going back and forth with Steven, kind of teasing him about being sick. Because remember, she's been asked to leave the party. She's drunk. She's belligerent. So she's in the car and she's like, you know, messing with the sick guy in the back of the car. So when she gets out of the car, Stephen tells the designated driver, tells his friends, he's going to, he wants to go holler at her. He wants to go up, up there too. A colloquialism for, I'm going to go see if I can continue Get this laid. conversation yeah. up in her dorm room. Yeah. 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 Okay. So Stephen was a year or two older than Katie. Uh, he had never been in any serious trouble, but according to an article which is referenced in our, will be referenced in our show notes, the MidwestCrimeFiles.com, he was known as, quote, a liar, cheat, and a thief. And many of the people he hung around with did not trust him and felt like he was a mooch. Okay, we've all known this kind of person, you've especially in college. This, yeah, you've known this kind of person. Now, this is Absolutely. according to this article, talking with people that knew him, that were acquaintances of him. Is apparently you weren't frightened by him necessarily. You just knew that he was not the guy that you wanted to water your plants while you were gone for the weekend. Yeah, you're not going to give this guy a key to your house, right. or you're not going to, you know. He cannot know. borrow your car to go to the beach for the weekend. <laughs> Correct. Yeah. So police are going to question Stephen Souls, and he told them that he and a group of his friends attended the fraternity party that night. He's going to tell them what I told you previously about drinking, feeling sick, going to the car to sleep it off. And according to Stephen, on the way to the dorm when they were taking Katie home, he says that he and Katie were messing around and making out in the back seat. 
So at first, Stephen is going to deny going up to her dorm room to police. But remember, the designated driver has already told police. There's another witness. Yeah, that has said, yes, he's gone up there. Mm-hmm. He later admitted that after she exited the vehicle, he followed her and snuck through the dorm room door before it closed. You know, you have to enter using a key. And then he kind of So it wasn't in. necessarily that he was invited to go up, but... He, he stood there as the door again. closed, and before it did, he got his hand between the door and the frame and Just snuck, into snuck the, in. Okay. According to his own admission. Okay. When I was in college, you had to give like a, if you didn't live there and have your ID, you had to put your name on a list. Like they kept track of who went in and out that building. Was that all, all hours of the night too? Yes. Like Th- including this may be why. 2.30 yeah. in the morning. Yeah. yeah. So he said that he followed her up to her room and they had sex. So... What we are assuming from this, this is where the the other witness, you know, he's been on the phone with the roommate, the designated driver. Mm-hmm. She's heard the second male voice. Apparently, at some point, the designated driver leaves. The pledge leaves. And she's in the room with Wait, how does the pledge guy. get upstairs? Is the implication that the pledge is upstairs as well? He goes in with them. And so at some point, he's no longer around. You would think he would have responsibilities to get back to the fraternity party because if he's a pledge and he's the DD, he's got to take somebody else home or he's going to be in trouble Monday morning. That's what I'm thinking is he's dropped her off. He's talked to the roommate. He's gotten out of Dodge because he's got to have his tail back. Like you said, he's got to do all this. Now, all of this is a... I'm assuming this. Yes, pure speculation. But at some point in time, he's no longer in the room. Mm-hmm. But Stephen's his, his story has already changed once right here. Stephen's already changed his story once. Now, he's going to say that they he goes up there and they do have sex. He changes his story multiple times as he's interviewed. And finally, he told authorities that he did not hurt her, but he knew who did. Now, he does not say the designated driver. He says that as he was hanging out in the room with Katie, his friend, Lucas Goodrum, it's spelled G-O-O-D-R-U-M, like Goodrum. Interesting last name. I know. Had called and asked where he was. Like, you know, hey man, where are you? What are you doing? And he said that Lucas is then going to show up in the dorm room and he's going to want to have sex. Not without help getting in that security door. It's really interesting that you're pointing that out. So keep that in mind. So he says that, you know, Lucas shows up and Steven said that Katie was not about having sex with Lucas. And then Lucas violently attacked her. He said that she fought back, but was not able to get away from him because Lucas was a lot bigger than her. And Stephen then said he watched as Lucas Goodrum tortured and lit her on fire. Now, who is this guy? Who is Lucas Goodrum? All right. He was 21 years old at the time of the crime. He is not a student at Western Kentucky University or anywhere else. He was, according to my sources, this article, there's a, a few Newspaper articles, things, they'll be in the show notes. He was known as a screw-up, not holding down a steady job or taking steps to get an education. So, he was just there at the party. He had been married and divorced already and was the father of a young son. 
his ex-wife alleged that Lucas was abusive to her. Now, that's not been proven. I believe that he he was arrested on domestic violent charges against his girlfriend, but was immediately let out. Well, I don't want to get off on a thing, but I mean, I remember being in a, a college student in Tuscaloosa back in the late 80s and early 90s, and we got to know this group of people who were natives of the city. They weren't college students, but they were college student age. And they, and were they from knew somebody the who knew somebody and you would see them at these parties and, and you just got to know them. Yeah. But they weren't students. They were just people from the city where the college was located. And yes. so maybe he's one of those guys. Maybe so. Yeah. Now, Lucas's stepfather is an heir to Dollar General. You know, you've heard of the Donald Dollar General story. If you haven't, you're not from the Southeast out say, there, listeners. Right. Every corner. Yeah. yeah. So he had money for, for some good lawyers. Mm-hmm. You know, and it, it it was noted in the references that his family had supported him financially since he, quote, refused to work and got high on a regular basis, end quote. What a fantastic member of society. I know. Lucas eventually moved to Scottsville with his father and stepmother. So Stephen and Lucas were friends because they were both from that area but it has also been noted that they both argued. Now, according to Lucas, he doesn't like the fact that Stephen is a mooch and a liar. Who would? Yeah. But for whatever reason, the two of them were hanging out on the night of May 3rd, and they both attended this frat party. Sometimes you just have friends of convenience. That's yeah. true. That's a good point. Katie. And they, they were both at the frat party. So... Police are going to question Lucas after Stephen has dropped this bombshell yeah, on you them. Can say that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he he says he remembered seeing Katie at the party, but he claimed that he never went to her dorm room. He was very adamant about that. He did not go up to her dorm her dorm room. He had nothing to do with her rape or her murder, and in fact. A resident advisor at another dorm said that they saw Lucas in the lobby of that building around 2.30 in the morning, which is the same time that the phone call happened between Katie and her roommate. So he's got an alibi. Where someone is allegedly heard being the second male in that dorm room. Yeah, so he's not placed in that building at that time. Dare I ask about security cam footage? No. Okay. He pl- he is placed at another dorm building by a witness, a resident advisor. So, Lucas said he did not know anything about this crime. So, his father and stepmother also said that he was at home at 4 a.m. by the time the fire alarm is going off in the Oh, yeah, it was an hour and a half after this happened before the fire alarm. So he's got a second alibi, which we've talked about in the past, how parents are... They're not the best Not the best alibi. Mm. But he does have two alibis saying, no, he was not at that dorm. He was over here, and then he was at home. So police, they're still believing Stephen Souls' story of what happened that night because Lucas does have a history of violence. And Stephen really does not. So they're, you know, kind of perking up, wanting to really 
get this Lucas guy. The shortest distance between two points is a straight line, right? Yeah, because they're saying, all right, this guy's violent. Mm-hmm. This guy's not really. So they're they're going to go after both of them. So both Stephen and Lucas are arrested and charged with first-degree capital murder. Now, in Kentucky, this meant a possible death penalty. Okay. Now, in the meantime, DNA tests have been run. And results come back from the victim at the scene of the crime. Now, even though alcohol gel had been used to attempt to cover up evidence, they were still able to recover semen from the victim. Okay. Does anybody want to tell me who it matched? Take a guess. Both of them. Oh. I was going to say not Lucas. Stephen. It matched Stephen only. Okay. Stephen Souls. None of the DNA recovered at the scene of the crime matched Lucas Goodrum. So the evidence is not supporting Stephen's story that has changed, what, three times now? Multiple times. Yeah. At this point, Stephen's going to change his story again. And he's going to admit that he assaulted her. But he's going to say that he only did that after Lucas had assaulted her. And he's going to go further and state that he only did that after Lucas because Lucas threatened to kill him if he did not participate. Oh, goodness. Now, because of this, police are going to offer Stephen a deal. With no evidence to show Lucas committed this crime, the DNA evidence all pointing to Stephen, Stephen is going to agree to plead guilty to all the charges, murder, rape, sodomy, arson, robbery, and they're going to take the death penalty so off that table. No chair, no needle, if you'll, if you'll cop to everything. Yep. But he also had to testify against Lucas at Lucas's trial. So Lucas is going to go to trial. How solid can, I mean, how is he a good witness on a stand with this many versions of a story? I don't know. But now during the trial, of Lucas Goodrum, Stephen's going to change his story again. We're going <laughs> to change it one more time. All right. Shocker. Okay, so he's going to claim that Lucas was the one who initially committed the crimes of assault, battery, rape, sodomy. He said that Lucas forced him to rape her. And that's all what he said before. But now this story, he's going to add that he was actually the one who sprayed the hairspray and lit her on fire. But that was because Lucas had threatened him. So all this time, Lucas is walking around, according to Stephen, he's not touching a thing. He's not leaving any evidence anywhere. Right. And he's making Stephen do everything. Do we think some detective was like, hey, are you sure that maybe Lucas just told you to do it maybe that's why we don't have any of his dna we don't know Mm -hmm. i don't know about that but let's recap the only dna found at the scene of the crime was that of stephen souls stephen by his own admission raped katie lit her on fire that's what caused her death lucas's dna was not found at the crime scene and he had two different witnesses as alibi. Place him somewhere else at Place the time him, of the crime. At, at the time of the phone call during the crime and when the fire was going on. Mm-hmm. 
The dorm rooms, as you said, Scott, required a key to enter. And Stephen admits to following her up to the dorm room. I mean, he told everybody how he got up there. Yeah. But he really couldn't offer how Lucas got up there. Lucas didn't have access. Unless souls let him in. I mean, maybe. And he's not going to admit to that. Yeah. Stephen said that Lucas didn't come up there until after they were already in the room. And remember the resident advisor of the other dorm said, no, Lucas was there. Mm-hmm. I saw him. Um, so that's, that's what is, the jury is presented with. They're presented with the fact that there's no hard evidence to put him there. And this is at Lucas's trial yeah. that we're talking about. Yeah. The jury is hearing, we For don't have Lucas. any hard evidence that Lucas was there. We've There's got no the, DNA, but the we word have... from one asshole who's changed his story half a dozen times. We've got this guy who's okay. telling this story, and apparently there was some sort of like jailhouse confession. Isn't there came, always? Came How many times some, have yeah. we said jailhouse confession uh, on this podcast? Yeah, exactly. So the jury is going to return with... It's Western Kentucky, oh, so I'm going to say guilty. guilty. Not guilty. Oh, thank oh, goodness. The, All right. It was, Maybe some justice got delivered here. Met it out. Yeah, the jury was not convinced. Okay, good. Good for of them. Of Lucas's guilt. Now, the family is very upset about this. The family believes that he was involved. And you can't judge the family for this. I mean, they see a, a, a man with a violent past. They hear all these horrible stories. They want everybody to burn. Sure. They want everybody to go down for yeah. what they have done to their thing. loved one. Absolutely. Oh, it's horrible. So, um, Stephen Souls was sentenced to life with no possibility of parole, and he's currently in the Kentucky Department of Corrections. Good. So, Cal Turner Jr., the heir to Dollar General and stepfather to Lucas, made a generous gift uh, to Western Kentucky following the murder mm-hmm. of Katie Autry. They were devastated that this had happened. They were not... And their name besmirched? Yes. They were not... Uh, they were very upset about this and, and made a generous donation. Now, some people have said, oh, that, you know, they thought that was a sign of guilt. Others have said it was a sign of innocence. Well, that's a sign uh, of public just, relations. It's a sign of wanting to get our name back in the good. Yeah. With everybody. And, I, you know, I can't say that I completely blame them for that. It's a multi-billion dollar corporation. Yeah. So, that's what happened um, as far as the Dollar General heir is concerned. According to online articles, WKU, which is uh, Western Kentucky University, has changed security protocols since this crime. Imagine that. Many of the students and staff were devastated after this happened. Well, it was was 03. I mean, you would assume. uh, Are we even talking about cell phones? Were they... Were those calls not to the great, door made no. with cell phones? Probably not. There probably was a, a, a landline. Yeah. You know, 03. Yeah. So you figure this the security camera issue is not what it is today. And uh, uh, security cards and, and monitoring and people, it, obviously enhancements have been made, but this was 19 years ago. Yeah. And, you know, if you think about having the keypad to be able to get up there, I mean, when's the last time you stayed in a hotel? It's the same security. Yeah. You have to have that key 
to go into the building usually. Mm-hmm. And do you enter through a door where somebody is at a desk and sees you walk in, or if there's a door in the back, it's Sometimes. closed after nine o'clock and you've got to have that keypad or your yeah. key card to get in. To but get there's in. nobody there. You don't have to sign in. You don't right. have to. So, I mean, I don't, I don't, um, harp on the university too much. I mean, no. they have the same type of security that hotels still have to this very day. But I do understand them making changes after that. And and Katie, back to what you had said, yeah. that may be why <laughs> Yeah, they were someone very, had to sign in. Very strict about it when I was in school. And hearing this story makes it make more sense, but it was so annoying back it, then. Yeah. Like you had, I mean, you know, you didn't want a record of every, you know, have to deal with st- standing at that desk. Your guests had to provide their ID. They had to sign in. They had to this sign is out why. when they left. Uh-huh. It was, and then the, we had like a side fire exit situation and you'd sometimes people would come in that door and that was a huge no-no. Oh, that was a big deal. If if they caught people coming in that side door that they, it was, and this makes sense now. That This is why. Now, exactly. now, now you're on the parent side of mm-hmm. kids in college more than we all were when we were the kids in college, right? Trying to subvert the rules and and get your friends upstairs or have a, a good time. And I guess one thing, speaking of that, I, that I don't understand, and maybe there's no way to know, why weren't there other girls in that dorm room who heard this happening and hit the panic button, called downstairs, you, and maybe you just didn't. Maybe everybody else was at another frat party somewhere. Maybe the be. dorm was completely empty on a Friday night. At, could have been quiet, though. I mean, if she's drunk and 2.30 in the morning, yeah. she's a small girl. Very small girl. I mean, look. Just doors slamming, men's not, voices in a, in a girl's dorm. probably used yeah. to hearing that, though. Maybe really. so. If Maybe so. If there's parties she, going on. Right. And she's not, she's not working with what, like, I'm working with. Like, <laughs> if, she were, if she were my size... You're you know, taller than what did Duke you say? She's five two. To, you know, exert a little bit more energy to. Uh, you might have shoved someone out a window. I don't know, and I'm not saying that I wouldn't have been a victim, but I'm just saying that uh, she was very small in stature. And you mentioned and that one of these guys was a large man. Large. I remember. I don't remember which of the two you mentioned. Uh, Lucas is pretty large. Okay. Steven is. But supposedly not Lucas was large. never there to begin with. Yeah. Although we did hear two voices. But like I said, there were two voices. What I'm assuming is the designated driver is on the phone. Okay. And Steven's the voice in the background. But that is pure speculation. Right. Especially, you know, now I'm Nobody ever says how the DD gets upstairs. He get he helps her to her room. He's let in. So he's taking Katie upstairs and Steven waits for the door to almost close. And then the next thing D.D. and Katie know Stephen is behind them. Hey, what are you doing in the room? That's one option. Okay. The other option is... That's what I'm seeing in my head. Yeah, the other option is, and what some people believe, is the D.D. was never up there, that he let her out, and Stephen got out of the car and said, I'm going to go holler at her. Right. And he slips in, and then there was a second guy that ended up being there that could have been let in by Stephen. But... There's no evidence to who that person was. Yeah. So. And the and the know. guy that he fingered for this crime for for being an accomplice has two alibis. Has two alibis and, and walked out of court a free man when the jury said not guilty. Yeah, and no, there, because there was no evidence of him being in the room. Right. 
Okay. I, th- I think I've got it now, but wow, how complicated. And, and I think great you, have case, to go, you have to go with that. You have to follow the evidence, just like we were talking earlier about the, the Adnan Syed case and how they didn't always follow the evidence. You know, in the same sense, police forces have been slammed for doing that. Mm-hmm. If you know your true crime and you know about the yogurt shop murders, if you don't, just you know, do a quick Google yogurt shop murders. People were very upset with that investigator, but he said, I have to follow the evidence. Right. And when there's not any evidence, I have to go a different way. Yeah. I mean, some some investigators like to read the last page of the novel first and figure out a way to get there. Yeah. And other investigators go where the story takes them. Yes. Right. Yes. Because with the yogurt shop murders, there was someone who, claim that they committed the crime, but they never could prove that the person committed the crime. And people are always fascinated by that. They're like, no one would admit to a crime that they didn't do. Wrong. Yes, they will. Yeah, of course. They'll do it all the time. People want... uh, Let's go back to the Beatrice Six. The Beatrice Six. How many times did all of those people admit to crimes they never committed? Yep. Yeah. And now Lucas never admitted to any of this. Lucas was, from the beginning adamant that he had nothing to do with this. The evidence backed up his story, did not back up Stevens. And so there we have it. Stevens incarcerated and Lucas is not. Now other people have said that this is a racial thing. Lucas is a white guy and his dad is an heir to Dollar General, so he's got a lot of money. Right. So they're saying, you know, he's more privileged. He can get the better lawyers. He can do this. Whereas Steven is mixed race and did not have the means. Probably had a public defender. That Lucas had. So you can kind of see why that would get brought up into the conversation. I think it's worth mentioning. Mm -hmm. However, you still go back to that evidence and the evidence tells the story that Stephen Souls is guilty of this crime. It feels like Stephen tried to point a finger. He had a story to tell. And it crumbled under him. He thought, oh, I know this guy, and he's he's a worse guy than I am, or yeah. people think he is, so that he, that he would be believable. I saw him out at that party tonight. Well, and, you know, the, the investigators and the police believed Stephen, even to the point of taking Lucas to trial. Right. So it wasn't like they were, they were supportive of his story. They believed it. They're trying to get to the truth. They made a public statement that they had no reason not to believe Stephen. Mm-hmm. So those are but just a jury things. Didn't. A jury did not believe it. So it, th- those are just things I think that deserve to be brought up about mm-hmm. this case that make it a little bit controversial. And the fact that the family still believes that Lucas got off free for committing a crime and harming their loved one, and I, I that's that's a horrible situation to be in. Now, Katie Autry still remains in the hearts of her friends and family. Her story deserves to be told. She was currently working and going to school part-time after gaining her independence from the foster system. She did this even though it meant that her school would no longer be paid for, and she wanted to do it on her own and be independent. And I admire that so much from this beautiful young lady. Yeah, it's a shame that she didn't get to uh, live the rest of her life. Yeah, it is very much so. So college students, let me be a mom for a second. Do it. College students, be cautious. Travel in groups with people you know. 
check on each other and have emergency phrases to alert your friends that things are not okay. You know, we've talked about know that Know where before. those phones are. Like, they have phones all over the place on campus now. If you feel like you're being followed or you need to get the campus police over to you, right? A lot of campuses have the, the call boxes. Right. And friends, act on those phrases if your friend uses them. Uh, call the police, speak up, say something, take care of each other. Uh, we are all we have in this life. And I'm not trying to say that her roommate was at fault. Her roommate called, checked on her, spoke to someone, so much so that was reassured that that she was okay. Um, Maybe she even knew the guy who drove the, drove the car, the I mean, DD. there's so much there. So not, I'm not trying to bring that to light and, and blame her roommate or anything. for Not at all. Not at all. But let's just be careful. If that means you got to go to a party and not drink as much, uh, let's do that. And this is a mom who is about to send a daughter off to college, so I know why that's on your mind. In yeah, fact, absolutely. Uh, if this is the wrong segue, we'll do it oh. over, but oh. she won't be with us on Saturday. Katie and I will be at the Fall Festival in Center on Saturday. Yep. Kelly will not be because she's taking her daughter, Katie, to a university here in the state to look around and see if that's where they want to go. But I, I, I feel like that's maybe why that's on your mind, and it certainly should be. So it is. Well, uh, well-spoken words. Yeah, it is. Katie Turner. I mean, Kelly Turner. <laughs> Well-spoken words, Kelly Turner. Thank you. Um, this case was a heartbreaking case. And I hate to always end it this way, but that, you know, that's what we have. And it's, we have to learn from it. We remember her story because she was a young lady who was trying to do things right. She was trying to be her own independent person. And, Improve her life. And had a had a difficult upbringing, wanted to make a life of her own, and now she doesn't get to because of, you know, assholes, or one asshole at least. At least one. So um, just want to be aware of that. But yeah, let's, uh, I want to redirect back to Fall Festival. If you need to know how it's going to work with the rest of the team, you can listen to our previous two episodes, but just to give you like the quick version, I have ordered some colorful sticky notes with lines on them. They're so cute and pretty. Scott's appreciated awesome. that. And you will write your name and your phone number on those. And that's your chance. You pay a dollar for a chance. You can get five chances for $3 or 10 chances for $5. If you go to Apple Podcasts, give us a five-star review and comment, we'll double whatever. That sounds like writer's cramp. It is. Scott's going to have fun with that. So we just need your phone number so we can call you and let you know you won the Beats. Yeah, those those headsets. The wireless Beats. They look pretty cool. They are very cool. Yeah. Very cool. We'll have t-shirts on sale, $10 each. She keeps saying we. Yeah, we. Katie. Scott, have you ordered us, is it a banner yes, or a we'll tablecloth? Yes, we'll have a it? table. There'll be a banner. Our logo will be prominent. If you don't know what the logo looks like, then you're not paying attention. What the fuck are you doing listening to this episode if you don't know what the podcast uh, logo looks like at this point? We've been doing this a year and a half. Get your shit together. So we'll have shirts and we'll have a table that will be wrapped with our logo. Shane will be there probably making way too much noise. We will be prominent. You will see us. It will be easy to pick us out of the crowd. (laughs) We will accept cash for your chances or Venmo. Yes. You will have the Venmo information there. Cash or Venmo. Sounds good. Yep. We will see you there or I won't.
Yeah, you won't. But hey, I hope you guys have a good time. I hope the weather cooperates with us all. I know there's a small chance of rain on Saturday as we sit here on Sunday. So there's six days from now, but small chance of rain, but at least it'll be nice weather in the 70s, uh, 50s for the lows. It's supposed to be really nice weather. If we can dodge the rain, it will be awesome on Main Street and Center on Saturday, October the 1st. Scott, you're not going to melt. You're not... You're not too sweet. I'm uh, certainly not that sweet. We'll just we'll uh, everybody bring your umbrella and enjoy the enjoy yourself. I have a bucket hat that everyone hates. I'll wear that. Oh, perfect! Shut up. I, hey, you guys got to send me pictures. Oh yes, all day long. I want to see that's your pictures. Job. Okay. All right. Uh, is that it? Are we done? I that's it. So. See you this weekend, everybody. Good night.